Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's July 7th, 2017. You're listening to the best poker cast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Scott's trying to throw me off here. He's got the sixth on the file here, but it's yeah, the seventh. I just, I just changed it to seventh, so now I'm out bored over going crazy because I just typed in his ear. So. He just wants to see if uh, I'm paying attention, too. <laughs> I love this show every every year, every other year, because this is the show where I get to do some work over here and have a sandwich, and you get to tell me all about what happened at the TDA Summit. Ah, uh, so you think it's easy for you, though, but no, <laughs> because... You're going to be forced to give an opinion on all the stuff that happened at this year's Poker TDA Summit. So You know me. I have no opinion on anything. You need to take small bites of that sandwich so you'll be able to uh, you know, chime in here. And I, there are one or two things here that I think are going to get your goat. Oh, no. I thought about you a couple times during this very exciting Poker TDA Summit that just concluded in Vegas last week. I'm going to lose it. <laughs> All right, but before we get to that, uh, 54 hours in Vegas, that's how long I was there. Probably one of the quickest trips ever. And uh, so a couple things about Vegas uh, before we get into this. So one, I coined another term. Yes. Does not need a definition. It's called Vegas exhausted. <laughs> and here's okay. what it is, is I am 45 years old now going on 70. We all know that, right? Yes. And I I can't believe that I used to go to Vegas like three, four times a year and loved it every time. Because when I get off the plane now, I am just like, I'm like, you know, unfrozen caveman lawyer <laughs> into the real world now. And I'm like, I just, it's just too much now. It's too much. And see no man. It's just the lights and the action and the crowds and the crowds and the crowds and oh, it's 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 just too much, right? So yeah. I always stay downtown because I like downtown. And even that's gotten crazy now, but it's still my my little slice of where I can live in Vegas when I'm there. And uh, so I got into town and and uh, went over to the World Series for a little bit, and then uh, I was going to come back up. I was going to go down, check into my room take a little nap, and then I was going to come back up uh, to the Strip uh, to have dinner with a, uh, a friend. And I got downtown, and it took me like an hour to drive on I-15 all the way downtown from the Strip, which should take like five minutes if people know how to drive in that town. And I got there and checked in and laid down the bed, and I'm like, done, I'm out. Texted my friend, I'm sorry, I'm Vegas exhausted. I can't get back in the car tonight. Can't come back up and see you, I'm going to stay down here, so... That's my new term now. I'm just too old for Vegas. Okay. I agree. I think you are always too old for Vegas. It's tough. It's tough, especially when you're out there by yourself. At least you had a friend and you're only there 54 hours. I was there for a week once by myself, and I wanted to just kill myself by day three. It's it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. It's a lot for the senses, and if your senses are old like ours, it's hard to take in. And you're right. The crowds, man. It's crazy. And I'll say that here's the weird thing. Here's the bizarre thing about this is, right, everybody has been to the World Series of Poker at the Rio, right, knows this. You walk in there, that place is just a beehive of activity, right? Yeah. 27 rooms filled with brim tables, people playing cash games, tournaments, 17 tournaments going on at the same time, media running around, vendors, sponsors, all that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I picked the one day that the the, main, the event was a $5,000 buy-in. Uh, it might have been a limited event. I don't know. But a uh, $5,000 buy-in event. The same day, uh, the Aria was doing their $500 buy-in, 20 gazillion million dollar guarantee event going on. It was like the most peaceful day ever I spent <laughs> at the Rio. There was like almost no one there. And then I'm like, and I almost kind of got a little disappointed because I, I was only going to get one day there this time because the rest of the time I was at the Poker TDA. And I uh, wanted to see all my friends and stuff, the people 
ground, and it really was as close as the World Series can get to a ghost town. This is what it was. Man. Really, really surprising. I walked around, like, you know, that whole t- uh, room where the cash games are, almost no activity in there until the end of the day when they started doing satellite. Um, uh, the other big room, uh, just like one corner of it was taken up for this uh, $5,000 tournament. And I even talked to some of our vendor friends there, and they're like, oh, yeah, it's it's dead. We should have packed up and moved the Aria today. <laughs> That's where everybody is. So, so that was weird, I thought. So the other weird thing, too, is, and I'm pretty sure this is a first for me, 54 hours in Vegas, I placed not a single wager on anything. You didn't play any poker either, right? I played no hand of poker. I did not make a sports bet. I didn't uh, drop a quarter in a slot machine. Nothing. Wow, I usually you do the 50-50 somewhere or get a coupon yeah. book or something. Right, right. Wow. Wow. That's like, is that sacrilege? I think that's 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 weird. Well, yeah, we're not really religious. Everything we do No, is I know, but still, that's still... Uh, but, yeah. That's if bizarre. If we were, it would be sacrilege. <laughs> it's blasphemy to Vegas. <laughs> Vegas blasphemy. There's another term for you. Yeah, no, I had planned, and actually I was kind of excited. I was going to play the uh, the Poker TDA. They always do a tournament for the Poker TDA members um, uh, the first night of it, uh, which is always a good networking thing. It's good to hang out with the tournament directors, and I think I mentioned last show, Joe, it's always fun to see if we have floor calls because, you know, everybody's got an opinion, right, because they're all floor. Um, but uh, they bumped it up to 200 bucks this year, and I'm like, hmm. Mm. Kind of want to play, but if I'm spending 200 bucks on a tournament, it's going to be like, uh, and I hate to make fun of this, a real tournament. <laughs> Not a, right. Hanging out with uh, with some of uh, my, my to- uh, poker tournament friends um, and play. Uh, and, you know, again, I was Vegas exhausted too, right? So yeah. Just get downtown. So didn't play that. And, um, you know, none of the other tournaments in town and any of the series, they're all daytime tournaments. Not night tournaments and uh, the night tournaments downtown were not drawing well and I'm like yeah you know what save my money smart man see ever since you got into politics you've, you've gotten wiser <laughs> so I would say I came back a winner because I didn't lose right that was a little joke but uh, you know of course uh, I had a lot of beer down on Fremont Street so. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the last thing before we get into TDA which is what everybody's tuning into here because they're tired of my stupid stories right but um, you know uh, Vegas used to be the land of free parking right it always cracked me up when people wouldn't rent cars when they got to Vegas and took cabs everywhere and racked up hundreds of dollars in cab fees when you could just rent a car and it's really cheap to rent a car in Vegas usually and you can park everywhere for free. You can even valet for free as long as you give them a tip, right? Yeah. And then a couple of years ago, all of a sudden, like dominoes, all the casinos started falling. They all started charging for parking. And so uh, the TDA summit was at the Aria. And two years ago, they had already started this, but I found a little end around because the Cosmopolitan right next door didn't charge for parking. So I pulled in there, I, and both days I found a spot there, and I just had a little bit of a walk across the street to, to the Aria, but it was free, right? Right. This year, that wasn't going to happen. So, But um, a couple of our cruise friends told me, hey, Scott, do you know that your Royal Caribbean Crown and Anchor status transfers to M-Life status for MGM properties? Wow. And I'm like, I did not know that. So I got the Aria parked. Went straight to the Players Club, and I'm like, I am Diamond Plus, baby. Hook me up. And it took about five, ten minutes for them to verify everything, and bam, I'm Platinum now, buddy. How do they prove that? Like, how did you verify that? Because I'm Diamond, so I'm going to be close to that soon, so. Yeah, well, I mean, it doesn't matter what your status you still get some sort of status at M-Life, but obviously the, the higher your status, the, the higher M-Life status you get, right? So. Yeah. The only thing I ever had that had my Crown Anchor number on it was the first letter they sent me when I signed up, when I was gold, right? Back right. when I was, like, steerage class. Yeah. So I took a picture of that to take out there to show them because I figured they might want to verify something, right? So I give it to them, and the guy's like, okay, he types in the number, and he's like, hey, and you're gold. And I'm like, uh, 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 I'm not gold. Sir. I'm not <laughs> and then he's like, oh, well, do you have some way of proving that? And I'm like, oh, man. So I had to sit there in line and get on my phone and try to find out how to log in the Royal Caribbean. Of course, I couldn't remember my password, so I had to do the lost password, which you have to do for every site these days. Uh-huh. Every site has a different password. Finally got in and uh, showed it to him, and it says, big beaming diamond plus. He's like, oh, congratulations, Mr. Long. I'm like, thank you. And uh, so I get platinum status. You know, most of it didn't really matter to me, but I'm like, I kept waiting as he ran through all the perks, and he's like, and you get free parking. And I'm like, thank <laughs> you, sir. Yes. Well, that saved me thirty bucks. Sweet. The company thirty bucks. Yes. Fifteen dollars. Save you fifteen dollars. <laughs> save me fifteen. You fifteen. <laughs> awesome. 
So anyhow, any of our cruise passengers out there, uh, that's that's a kind of a hidden perk that I didn't know about. So you know, you can go to any MGM property anywhere in the world, I think, and, and just give them your Crown and Acre number and show them the proof, and bam. Wow, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, my, you know, I can go to the front of the buffet line and all that kind of stuff. So if I was ever at an MGM property longer, I'll take more advantage. <laughs> VIP sitting. <for> <clears throat> all right, let's get me riled up. All right, so you know, remember two years ago, the big theme was this first card off the deck, last card off the deck thing that just went on and on and on. The more I wanted to sit there and use a melon ball or my my ball. Um, <laughs> this year, fortunately, um, it wasn't as, as annoying. We had, you know, we, every year there's like one or two people that have an opinion on everything, and so that's always kind of fun to sit there in the back. And go, okay, oh, oh, yep, guess what? Yep, she has an opinion. All right. Um, but anyhow, so the, the central theme this year seemed to be speeding up the game. You know, we've had a lot of change in the last two years. We have people, the whole concept of tanking as a strategy has taken over in the poker tournament world, right? And it's really annoying a lot of players. Um, it's certainly annoying operators because it just slows down everything, uh, you know, keeps the tournament tables going. And remember, once you pay your tournament entry fee, you know, that's that's the money the house is going to get. <laughs> so, right. you know, they obviously want to run a good tournament to get people to sign up, but they also want you out the door as quickly as possible. So uh, this is something that's kind of got universal um, appeal, except to the people that like to tank. So there are a lot of things about that um, that came up uh, during this uh, to kind of address that. And I don't have them in a really good order this year because they kind of, uh, went out of order. They normally do a really good job if they just start at the beginning, rule one, and go all the way to the end. And um, they, they put the rules up there. And if they have any recommend changes from the forum or from the board meeting, they'll put them up there. Um, but uh, Jack Effel from the World Series, it's always tough to get him over there. So he's only over there for like one day. So they kind of went out of order this year to kind of hit the things that, that he's doing with the World Series. So this is kind of a little bit of a mess, but just keep in mind that the overall theme was speeding up the game. So I'll start off with one of those things. <laughs> Unlike and... speeding up our show. <laughs> <laughs> was, All right, you got a 30-second clock, Scott. And what's going on here? <clears throat> All right. Um, so, you know, the, the the classic countdown, and when you call the clock, they come over, and the floor will immediately say, all right, we're on the clock, you have 60 seconds to act in your hand, right? Yeah. No more. Done with that. So the World Series this year has been doing something where it's zero to 30 seconds based on the tournament director's discretion. Huh. So he can get there and say, all right, you've got 30 seconds to act in your hand, or he can say, hey, this is the seventh time I've been here because people call the clock on you. You have to act right now. Hmm. Pretty interesting, right? Um, so uh, the TDA wasn't ready to go that drastic, um, but there's a lot of discussion between whether they should do a 30 seconds with a 10 second countdown. Because when they count, the, when they call the clock, you know they don't count down, right? They right. Just, you have to guess where you are. Um, and they ultimately decided um, on 25 seconds with a five second countdown. And shorter. Yep, much shorter. Good. So, um, and then the other big thing is uh, they gave tournament directors the discretion to call the clock on players themselves. Well, that makes sense. I, I I never understood why that wasn't a rule anyway. That makes sense to me. Yeah, I can see some players not liking it because they, you know, tournament directors didn't pay to be in the tournament. Um, but you know, again, it, it's all in the interest of moving the game along. And you know, one of the things that they implored, and I'm certainly guilty of this, and I think you are too. We talked about this. I've never called the clock on anyone, right? Yeah. I just don't like doing it. I just find it rude. If somebody's really abusing it, I will do it at some point. But they, throughout the summer, they kept saying the best thing we can do is get players to understand that they should be calling the clock. And uh, we don't think we're going to be able to succeed in that, so let's let tournament directors step in and be able to do it for them. So um, so that was tough to hear because, you know, again, I kind of find it, I find it a little rude to call the clock, but... It's obviously it's exasperating for tournament directors that tournaments are going on long and people like me are just sitting there politely letting people tank. Um, and they don't want us to be polite anymore. They want us to help help them speed up the game as well, too. So take that for whatever it's worth out there, folks. Seems fair. Um, this was an interesting discussion. Um, a lot, there's a lot of card destiny stuff this year, too, which you would have liked, right? Yeah. So, you know, um, when, you, when the dealer deals and the button's always the last the card right mm -hmm. and sometimes the dealer forgets to, to deal that last card right and then stuff happens and then the button goes hey i only have one card and then the dealer just uh pops in the top card off the deck right which right. would have been their card right right there was a big discussion here about whether that was fair 
Because <laughs> if any other player only gets one card, their hand is dead. So why should the button get the added advantage of getting a card just because we know what card their card was supposed to be? Because we know we know what card their card is supposed to be. See, that's a card destiny thing, right? Yeah. And there was a lot of a lot of these decisions this year where they were focused on the randomness of cards, and that as long as the deck is random, that's what matters. And forget card destiny. Yeah. So it was interesting that they said, "Hey, this is just not fair because if you're on the button, you have an advantage that no other player at the table has." And there was a discussion to get rid of that, and they ultimately decided, nah, players were going to revolt. So they left it that way. But yeah. I thought that was interesting to think of it from that, that point of view, that if you were even in the hijack, you don't get that same benefit. When the If a player has one card, their hand is dead, or is it a misdeal? up in time. Right? Is it a misdeal, or is a hand is dead? It depends on whether it's significant action yet. Oh, okay. Oh, if it hasn't been significant action, then they call it a misdeal. But yeah, yeah. significant action, you can't do anything. But with the button, though, even with significant action, top card on the deck is still there, so the dealer always gives it to him, right? Yeah, card but destiny. That's what we're talking about. People can't let go of the card destiny. See, you thought I was weird, but it's true. People can't. They can't let it go. It's, it's hard to let go. Ruining the game, Jerry. Ruining the game. <laughs> um, all right, so there was also discussion about, you know, uh, this is interesting. A lot of players don't know this either. Uh, hopefully our listeners do because we talk about it off. This, um, you know, checking the nuts on the river when you're last to act. Um, you're supposed to bet if you have the best hand. I mean, the, an unbeatable hand, right? Right. Uh, so if you have Broadway and there's no flush possibility out there, the board's not paired, you are required to bet because you have the best hand and there's no reason not to. Um, and that's been kind of like the known rule, but it's never been a TDA rule. So this year they brought it up and asked whether they should make it a rule uh, but there's a lot of discussion that there's a legit reason sometimes not to check the nuts. You know, maybe you want to if you ha- if you bet that player's gonna your opponent's gonna fold, and you want to see his hand, and you find more value in not betting the nuts, so he has to table his hand so you see what he has. Or you want to keep the shorter stack short and not put them all in because you know then you can still abuse the bubble and stuff. There's some reasons, I guess. It's weird. <clears throat> if it's a cash game, there's some reasons too because you've increased the rake. <laughs> well, yeah, cash games are completely different. But, yeah, yeah. Huh. Um, so yeah, so what they decided to uh, put in there was that checking the nuts is not necessarily soft play because they also had a rule about how soft play will not be tolerated. And there's a lot of like will nots and may nots and coulds and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, but the rule is soft play will not be tolerated, so they ended up putting a rule in to clarify that checking the nuts is not necessarily soft play. So it's up to the discretion of the TD. Exactly. Huh. And there, but there's the flip side of this. There was discussion that all kinds of players have action on each other now, right? So now it's getting really hard to decide whether somebody is checking the nuts for a legit reason for information or whether they're checking because, hey... You know, that guy, my last opponent in his hand, I've got 10% of his action. Yeah, you know, I tell you. It's soft play, right? Yeah, and you know what's weird is I'm sensing a theme here throughout these, and it seems as though the whole point of having rules is to have rules, but now they're leaving things up to discretion on a lot of things. And it's like, don't you go there every two years to solidify things, not to make them more gray area? Well, yeah. And I, well, and the interesting thing is, is because it's every two years, is the game of poker changes really dramatically in two years. I've noticed this is like my third time going to the summit, right? Mm-hmm. And every year, you, you think back and like, oh my god, some of the stuff we're talking about wasn't even on the radar two years ago, even though it's playing. It's just because the game's developed in a different way. Like this whole tanking thing, this is all new, right? Yeah. Um, but some of this other stuff is too, so it comes up, and then um, and because of that. Uh, then you start having discussions, and then because you have 250 tournament directors around the world in here, they all have different things going on in the room, and they see it differently. So it becomes uh, sometimes a really difficult discussion to have because of that. It's just weird. It's just it's almost as if rule number one is going to be the only rule someday, and it's just going to be whatever's in the best interest of the game, and you're not going to have any rules because everything that they're talking about is 
somebody will come over and they'll make a decision on what they feel is the right thing. Oh, did you check the nuts? Well, okay, explain to me why you checked the nuts. Oh, okay, that's a good enough reason. Oh, explain to me, you know, uh, why you had to tank on that hand for, okay, well, I'm going to give you 30 seconds this time instead of 25 or instead of 10. It's just a lot of discretionary things here. This is kind of bizarre. Yeah, and and this has always been uh, kind of a, I don't want to say a criticism of mine, but I've always thought that rule number one is the get-out-of-jail-free card. I think I keep mentioning it. Yeah, yeah. You know, in the end, if you don't like the rule uh, or you don't think the rule applies or whatever, then you can just make a decision, quote, in the best interest of the tournament or the game, right? Um, Now, I think it's a necessary rule because there's a lot of this stuff where if you didn't have that, these TDA rules would literally be a War and Peace level novel by now. Yeah, yeah. And there was a lot. Of, it's always interesting every year to see the discussion. You have tournament directors to say, "I need a rule in there because if I come over and make a determination, my players are going to fillet me uh, for it unless I can show them uh, here in the rules is why I decided it." Um, and then you have a whole other group of people with the TDA that say, "Hey, no, yeah." Rule number one gives you discretion, and you need to explain why you're doing it, and players have to accept it. And I think it comes down to a confidence thing for a lot of people. I mean, generally, the, the people that are, are big fans of rule number one are the board members and the very experienced tournament directors who, who feel very confident in making good decisions and, and explaining those decisions, which is just as important, I think. Um, and I think it's more the, the new tournament directors or the, the less confident ones that are, are looking for something to kind of back themselves up a little bit more. Right. But, and that's a tough discussion to have because a lot of this, and every year we're starting to see this too, where the disparity between tournaments gets really big. So, you know, your $25 buying three-table tournament in some rural casino is not the same as the $10,000 buy-in World Series of Poker main event, right? Yeah. And so sometimes you can't have a rule that is fair for that wide of a spectrum. So you have to allow some, some discretion there. Um, and I think some of that might come up in some of these other rules, but could be wrong. But it's 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 a tough it's a tough job. Wow, well, TDA um, stands for Tournament Discretionary Association. <laughs> nah, there you go. <laughs> um, this was discussed a lot last year, and they have a change this year. Was unclear betting. So last year, or I mean, last summit. I keep saying last year. Last summit, what they decided is if uh, you say five. Right, mm-hmm. your bet's going to be five hundred, regardless, because that's the lowest denomination chip available that you can bet. Um, and you know, Elliot does a lot of this in our call the floor. He's like, you know, don't make me guess what you want to do. You know, if you can't speak clearly and say five thousand, it's going to be five hundred because I have to make the best decision based on what it is. Now, I shouldn't say he's sh- that's his rule, but you know what he says. You know, he he don't don't make me guess. Right. Right. So this year they kind of decided that, well, we're not going to guess, but it, it, it there's a big discussion over wh- who you're punishing by making that person bet the lowest possible chip when common sense would tell you that that person meant to bet 5000 at that point based on whatever you see there, um, based on the maybe the pot size, maybe on the, the action in the last street. Any of that stuff would, would make you think, or maybe he's betting with the 10000 chip and you say five, are you really thinking that he's betting 500? Um, whereas if he said five and he bets with a 2,000 chip, he's obviously not trying to bet 5,000 because he didn't put enough in the pot to do so, right? Yeah. So what they decided this year is they're going to base that decision on the pot size. So the pot size is enough that you would think that that five indicates 5,000. That's what the player is going to be compelled to bet. So, so another discretionary rule. Exactly. Because they changed it from concrete, the lowest denomination chip possible for that five, to uh, we're going to look around, see how many chips you have in your hand, see what kind of chips you have, see what kind of chip you bet with, see what size, the, pot of the size of the pot, and then we'll make a decision. So, again, more discretion. Interesting. It is. I, I would argue this is a more fair way of doing it. Oh, I'm not saying it's not. I just It's interesting no. that they're getting away from rigid... But it's interesting how many times people mention <clears throat> angle shots, and angle shots could be on both sides of this, right? Yeah. So, and you could be trying to bet big to scare people out, but you really hope that the, knowing the tournament director is going to make you bet 500 if you do it, 
And this kind of takes away that angle shot, but creates another one, right? So it's all interesting how this all works with that kind of stuff. But but this is probably more fair for the pot. I think it's harder for the TD to figure out, I think. I mean, some of these decisions will be pretty easy based on kind of the scenarios I just gave you. But if the scenarios aren't as clear as that, it could be really difficult to come up with a good ruling here. Yeah, wow. Um, real quick, there was a discussion about a re-entry player seating and whether it should be completely random or not. Um, I think they ultimately decided that it should be, and that's kind of comes into play when, you know, uh, I, I, apparently in tournaments, and this has just floored me, that there'd be players that go up when they bust out, want to re-enter, and say, I want to go back to the same table I went to, and the tournament director will send them back there. Oh, that's shocking. Isn't it? Yeah, that that's baloney. Or they say, hey, I don't want to go back to that table. Send me to another table. And the tournament director will send them to another table. No, that's, that's baloney. That's why it's re-entry. You're a whole new entry. you got to go through the same process everybody else went through and pick your card. That's baloney. So, yeah, so the one slight discussion here was if there's only one seat available, and that seat is the seat that you just came off of, do you go back to that seat, or do you have to wait? No, you go back. Seat to right? You're so. re-entering as another a whole new person, and that's that person's seat. That's one thing, but now that's pretty simple to me. I, if that, if that created problems, no wonder why this thing every two years. <laughs> that was perfect. There's no reason to screw that. Screw with that at all. Uh, this was one of the more fascinating discussions for me this time. Is a lot of rooms now have started to stop the clock when they go to hand for hand, right? So you get one off the bubble. They stop the clock. Every hand, uh, every table completes a hand, and then they run two minutes off the clock. Hmm. Because of not doing that, the clock continues to run, and you have players not playing. Because let's say uh, I'm at table one, and it's a raise and take it situation, right? Hands over in ten seconds, and you're at a table with an all in and a player tanking and taking a long time and five minutes, I've just lost four and a half minutes of the tournament because I'm not allowed to play because we're waiting for your hand, for your table to catch up to us, right? Yeah. So with some rooms that decided, and this is, I think, going to be the rec- it's a recommended procedure, not a rule, is now um, we run two minutes off the clock at the end of, either at the end of the hand or once the bubble breaks, then they have just run off. If they did 10 hands, they'll run 20 minutes off the clock. Oh wow! So they they make up for it like retroactive or whatever, rather than right. So that way it keeps the flow of the tournament going. Hmm. And what they said is the average hand takes two minutes generally in a tournament. So some hands will take longer, something will, uh, will take less, but it kind of averages out of two minutes. Yeah, that makes sense because a lot of times the the rate for a good dealer is thirty hands an hour. Um, but there was also some good discussion about what happens if they, it bleeds into another level or, you know, let's say hand for hand starts with 10 seconds less on the clock, right? Yeah, yeah. So now you're running off and hand for hand lasts an hour. <laughs> now you've just run off a whole other level or are you still on that same level? So kind of interesting, but uh, but definitely maybe, it, it, again, it, it, I hadn't thought about that before. There were some people that were like, hey, I just like to keep the clock running all the time. But it never really occurred to me that that, that as a player, uh, particularly a player like me, that that was unfair to be sitting there not being able to play while the clock is running. Yeah, because yeah, I'm not, no reason for me. To, yeah, it makes sense though. You're right because otherwise, just like any other thing that happens in poker, when you know people are like, "This guy's tanking and I'm short stacked and it's going to change levels soon," you know, let's call a clock on this guy. Same thing. You're, you're basically calling a clock on on the tournament itself to make sure it, it runs smoothly and fairly for everyone. That's that's right. smart. That's kind of cool. Uh, this is a big one, too. I always thought this was kind of um, jingoistic. Uh, the English only at the table rule. No more, Chris. Gone. No. What? So now every room, the rule now will say um, the house will post which language or languages are acceptable during play. What? Well, it makes sense because, I mean, this is a worldwide organization, so why should people in uh, Germany be forced to speak English when playing poker? If it's if you're playing poker in a German room, why should German not be the accepted language or an accepted language in addition to English at the table? 
Well, th- that's well, think about down in like Miami, where there's a lot of uh, Spanish co- or Hispanic community down there, and they want to speak Spanish. And most people there speak Spanish, but they're forced to speak English at the table. I, it makes sense if your your country's native language is English or German or whatever, and you're speaking that country's language in that poker room. That I don't have a problem with, but. I mean, I know how to speak Italian, so my dad knows how to speak Italian. My dad and I go to a poker game, and we sit down, and no one at that table is going to know how to speak Italian. Now we can collude? What? If, if that room allows you to speak Italian. Now, it's going to post which languages there are. So, in my opinion, I don't think this is going to change too much. I don't think there's going to be any, too many rooms in America outside of places where Hispanic uh, community is very um, vibrant, where the well, there won't be any language other than English spoken, uh, but there might be some. Uh, but it does give some room, some some leeway uh, to make the game more friendly for those people. And again, if it, it has to be posted, so if you walk in and you say, "Hey, every language in the world accepted here at Joe's Casino," um, you're more than welcome to turn around and walk right back out. Because yeah, you're not going to want to play in a room where people can be talking and you don't know what they're talking about, right? Huh. Uh, I guess I better start learning Spanish. You know, an interesting compromise that didn't come up in the discussion would be every room has to post one language. Yeah, that's true. Because, like you said, in Germany or in Italy, if they wanted to make it just Italian, that's fine. You just got to learn the words for raise, fold, and call, really. And then even that, you just don't even have to do it. You just physically do things. So that'd be interesting. I, I I have to agree with that. I think that there should be one language. It doesn't matter; it has to be English. I I, I didn't mean it that way before. I don't right, care. Right. I just yeah, meant but, that the, the the language of that room needs to be, you know, whatever. I, that's that's bizarre to me. That because if I do go play poker in Miami and they're allowed to speak Spanish, I'm at a disadvantage. I don't know what these guys are saying to each other. You know. Well, again, that's why I say, and you can you can make a decision not to, to play. Not now. play there. No, I know you're right. But if there's at least that's my decision. If I walk in, I'm not. You know, what I mean, it's yeah. Huh. And if it's your only poker room, then you're in trouble. Yeah. Interesting. But interesting. All right, stud. I know you're gonna like this one. Uh, so there's a couple discussions about stud. One, I, I walked out on it. I didn't hear the resolution, so or we'll wait for the final uh, procedure before I, I, I speak intelligently on that. But the one thing I know they decided is, so, you know, let's say a player's missing from the table, you know, bathroom, smoking, whatever, right? Right. And they're dealt in, obviously, because in their tournament, and they get the low card, right? So now they're forced to bring the bring in, of course, even though they're not there, right? Right. And then it goes to 4th Street, and they get a card even though they're not there, right? Right. No more. Good. Not going to give that absent player a card that's worthless. Good. That's my editorializing. I've always thought this was weird, right? And then some rooms will keep giving a card if there's no action, right? So theoretically, this absent person could win a pot by not being there. We've had that happen. Get it. I've had that happen. I've had that happen in cash games where they, they, for some reason, they had to deal the person in or something, and the person had to leave, but they were the... I can't remember what the reason was, but no one bet, and then they dealt it again, and the guy ended up having like three cards because no one bet again. It was really bizarre, but yeah, that makes sense to me. Why this, this hand can't win. Why are we giving it cards? And that gets back to the whole destiny thing, probably. People think that, that hey, that's supposed to get a card, so... No, not anymore, because you're supposed to fold is what it's supposed to It's supposed to be dead. Yeah. So that makes sense. And all that action on that street is done. That hand's killed. Money pulled in. Doesn't exist anymore. Good. Good. That's what they get for being in the bathroom. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the other adjustment was 7th Street and what happens with an exposed card. Um, So, again, I'm just teasing here because I didn't get the full. I want to be sure I'm speaking clearly. But it is a change in procedure if there is an exposed card on 7th Street. Um, in terms of allowing you to declare yourself all in um, or not, hmm. rather than making everybody turn it up. So, yeah, very interesting. But uh, we'll wait for the final language on that. Okay. We'll be um, and the last two things weren't rules, but just some discussions. Um, a lot of discussion about table talk. You know, this is um, uh, an emerging issue over the last couple of years. It was discussed a little bit two years ago. Um, so I don't want to say it's new in the last time, but it, it's really kind of taken off more. 
Um, and uh, there's a discussion on whether we are missing out on the fun of poker by not allowing people to talk about their hands in the middle of a hand. Are they heads up? Yes. Then yes, they are missing out on the fun. If you're heads up and you're dealing with this one person, it's a not just a game of cards. You know, if it's just a game of cards, and people would just play every hand to the end and see who wins the tournament. So I, I agree. I think that there's no reason why in cash games are always doing that. In cash games, you're allowed to show cards and stuff when your head's up, and I don't see any reason why you shouldn't be able to talk to each other and and whatever. I mean, it's Even a mental thing. The contents of your hand is fine with you. I think so. Your head's up. I can do whatever I want with. Hey, if I want to be a dork and tell you that I've got the nuts and you shouldn't call and show you that, you know, or if I want to try to make you, that's the whole thing is it's, it's, it's also psychological warfare in these things. It's not just, I mean, I'm not saying I'd be good at it cause I'm, I know I would suck at it, but that's <laughs> not the point. The point is, is I'm playing you, you and I are a battle of wits right now. If, if what we're doing isn't a battle of wits, then why are we doing it? You know, when you bluff somebody, you're not telling the truth. You're lying. You're you're representing a hand that you don't have. You're trying to make this person think you have something you don't have. Why can't I use my my mouth and my brain to to do that? Why does it always have to just be the chips speaking for themselves? It, it, especially heads up. It's one thing if it's three-handed or four-handed because you're you're doing a disadvantage or a discourtesy to the other two that but if it's just you and that other person I, other than grabbing their cards and looking at them or touching them, you will do whatever you want. I mean, say whatever you want. Now, does it matter whether your action is complete or not? In other words, let's say two players are heads up. Uh, the first player to act is all in, so now it's on you, and no matter what you say, the action's going to end with you. That's one scenario, right? Mm-hmm. But what if that player's not all in and made a raise and has chips left? No, it makes no difference to me. There's zero difference there. All right. So as long as it's heads up, you don't care whether people talk or what they talk about. No. Nope. All right. What I care about is I'm taking too long, and then I'll call a clock on them and have them count down from 30. No, so that that was part of the interesting discussion is that there are a lot of people that think uh, like you do and a lot of people that don't think like you and a lot of people think somewhat like you and not like completely like yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> But it is an interesting discussion that the more we talk about rules – uh, one of the things that I, I've always liked over the last uh, couple summits was this, hey, guys, we got to protect the recreational players. So if we ha- we're too rule-heavy or too penalty-happy, um, uh, a new player that comes in, we got to remember that poker is a very intimidating game the first time you play in a casino. It's nothing like it is when you're playing on the kitchen table with your friends, right? Yeah. And we come in and we make a person sit out entire round because they accidentally expose their hand or something that's an encouragement for them to walk away from the game and never come back so we have to balance the integrity of the game with making the game accepting and friendly um, and table talk was part of that for some people they're like you know hey in a home game people like to talk all the time and um, you know people see this on TV and that's part of the joy, enjoyment of poker is watching Dan Negreanu talk to someone and try to figure out and do everything you just said. You know, it's 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 part of his skill set. Um, and if we limit it too much, now we're making the game less fun. And in, in 2017, there's a lot of options for people to spend their time on now, and they might go somewhere where it's more fun. Yeah. Hmm. All right, the last one, and I am really curious to hear your ver- your opinion on this. So, <laughs> um, the Aria has started this with their super high roller bowl. So, some of our um, listeners who have watched this on TV might have already seen it. I wasn't aware of it until I heard this, uh, but they're getting ready to try it out in their daily tournaments to see the reaction for recreational players because pros love it. Um, but they no longer do antes in their tournament. When it gets to the ante level, the big blind antes for the entire table. Uh, that's that's very similar to stud. Sometimes they do that where the dealer pays one yep. thing. So it still works out that you're paying the same amount, right, as if you had paid yeah, a we, single... We, players can come and go during the hand, so you, you might get screwed a little bit or you might get a benefit a little bit. But, yeah, I th- overall, the tournament, yeah, I think it, it works out the same way. 
Commodore. Yeah, I think it works out the same way. Um, and if anything, it speeds up the game because you don't have to keep reminding eight people or nine people or ten people about the ante. It's just one person. And generally, you know you're the big blind, then you know that your big blind now is a set amount during that hand and during that round or whatever. So that's interesting. I, I mean, I, I'm a stud guy, so that kind of is in my wheelhouse. You know what I mean? I, I, I kind of enjoy that that aspect. When we play stud, we just make the dealer pay something, and that's it, instead of a dollar ante, and that makes sense to me. So that that's okay, as long as it seems to work out, you know, because you'll probably make that ante you know, 8x of what the ante would have been, and then everyone pays it once. So, right. yeah, that kind of works out, yeah. so that's fine. It was kind of interesting to watch the room, you know, kind of the murmurs and stuff that happened through all these rules, but a lot of people were like, wow. it's." I mean, I was sitting next to Elliot, or I called the floor guy, and he's like, you know, it's really hard to come up with a reason not to like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> because some of the other reasons they mentioned is, one, it completely slows down the game, right? Because now you yeah, you have the dealer begging, ante, 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 yeah. every yeah. hand we're anteing, folks. Yeah. And you're always waiting for that one idiot that's not paying attention to throw in it. And then sometimes the dealer collects them all, and they, they're missing one, and then they have to push them back out and try to figure out who it is. And sometimes there's an argument. And so that takes a lot of time, right? Um, and the other thing they mentioned is, you know, it helps get those green chips off the table quicker. You know, when you get to like that one fifty three hundred level and you have a seventy five ante, yeah, there's no reason to have those green chips anymore at that point. You can get those off the table, um, so your your chip stacks are more manageable. And from an operator standpoint, they said the number one chip that's stolen from tournaments is that green chip. You know, people want a souvenir. They're gonna. They're not gonna steal the hundred dollar or the uh, the five hundred unit chip, right? They're gonna steal right. that twenty five Andy chip and put it in their pocket. Which, by the way, is a bad idea because if they ever catch you, you're out of the tournament. So, find another. Go to the gift shop and get your souvenir, kids. Uh, does this mean we're gonna have to change the name of our show and our magazine to Single Ante? Oh uh, well, no, no. It's, you're still anting. But no one says any up anymore. They're not going to say any up anymore because the blind alien person's well, going to be doing. They are to the big blind. <laughs> All right. All right, so the last part of this is because uh, I had to ask myself. Uh, I'm curious why you haven't asked yet. Why the big blind? Uh, it just makes it simpler to me. Well, it could be why not the button? Because you're including a third person in this now. So, again, it's another person, whereas it's only the two people have to put money up. just makes it simpler. Interesting point. Simpler math, too. Uh, what Elliot pointed out <clears throat> is you always have a big blind. You don't always have a button. Yeah, you always have a big blind. That's right. So then we talked, and he's like, mm, what about under the gun? Because the interesting thing, one of the interesting things that the ARIA tournament director, who's really getting rave reviews, uh, Paul Campbell, he's doing a really good job at ARIA. Uh, one of the things he did mention is some of the, the downsides of this is, let's say you're the big blind now, and you don't have enough chips to cover both your big blind and your ante. Your ante takes precedent, so you can only win and lose your ante chip so there's no big blind at that point. You're just all in then, right? But you're well. Let's say you have enough to cover the ante, and then you've got another hundred left. So the ante's in, and then your big blind is only a hundred. Right. Well, it happens all the time when if the big blind is is if somebody gets crippled on the last hand, and they only have five hundred chips left, and the big blind is a thousand. They're all in, and that's all there is. They're all in. There's no big blind. Still, a person's right. all in. How does it change that? You have two, one player making two different bets. Yeah, it's that it's get confusing the players. So. It's still one. Whereas person if you do the under the gun, because there's always going to be an under gun player too, right? That's if, uh, the one benefit of the big blind. If you, you always have an under gun, now, now that now every player putting chips out is only putting out one bet. Small blinds putting out small blind bet. The big blinds putting out a big blind bet. The other gun's putting out the anti. It's just you're adding one more person to this thing, so that that's the beauty of it. Is that it's, you are. But, I mean, you're in a blind. That's it. When you're under the gun, you don't necessarily follow the action. You might not know you're under the gun, but you're in the blind. You're in the blind, and okay, I'm the big blind. I'm the anti, and that's it. If it's another whole third thing, then you're just this. This really narrows it down. I like this idea. It's kind of cool. All right. Well, we'll probably see whether it takes off. All right. Cool. All right, so the World Series is going on. Main event starts Saturday, but we have a couple more events that are still working on the way through. So, uh, Jans Lakemeyer. You think I got that right? With I think day? you might have. I think you might Jans have Jans Lakemeyer, right. a 23-year-old German, won event number 59, $2,500 buy-in big bet mixed event. It was the inaugural year for this event, which featured the games No Limit Hold'em, Omaha, Omaha 8, Big O, Deuce to 7, Triple Draw, Deuce to 7, Triple Draw, and 5-Card Draw, all played in No Limit or Pot Limit formats. 
and Thomas floats with a Z. Uh, Canuli, a November <laughs> Niner in 2015, won event number 61, the $3,333 Big Grind online event, which is the highest buy-in online event in WSOP history. And daily live video coverage of the main event on the 30-minute delay begins Saturday on Poker Go and ESPN2, with ESPN joining the rotation on July 11th. <laughs> All right, what's the dinging? Andy Up Nation wants to know. <laughs> Someone didn't log off their uh, social media or something. Yeah, that's probably possible. <laughs> <laughs> Time for any updates. Four Junior Sweet Annie Up Poker Cruise packages for two for our September 17th Galveston Cruise will be given away each at La Burge Casino Hotel in Baton Rouge, Louisiana and at La Burge Casino Resort in Lake Charles in July. One package and $500 will go to the winner of invitational tournaments every Saturday and cash prizes of $200 to $1,000 going to the four runners-up. Players can win invitations to participate in a variety of ways, including winning daily tournaments, logging the most cash play, or being selected in social media contests. For more details, visit AnnieUpCruises.com. And the schedule for the 2017 AnnieUp World Championship at Thunder Valley Casino Resort near Sacramento, California, July 20th to August 6th, has been announced. The 18-event series features more than a million dollars in guarantees, including the 500K main event three other multi-day events, and a heads-up championship. For more details on this and all Antioch Poker Tour events, visit AntiochPokerTour.com. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Four in Hand the Week, we give them something cool. This week's prize is a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, which specializes in poker odds and math at poker911.net. comes from John Langley says, uh, yesterday I stopped in my local Florida card room and spotted a 1-2 no-limit table that looked juicy. So I sat down to play a few hands. Seeing at the table was a former high-stakes PLO player. Back in the day, he walked around with an attitude. In this game, he sat quietly with about $150 behind. Two other players were pretty steady 2-5 no-limit players. They both had about $100 behind. I did not say a word, but I wondered what had happened to make these players move down in stakes. I ended playing about two hours... Uh, players came and went. Most went away after being felted. In a way, I felt bad for them. I hope someday soon they will realize their limitations, or else their next stop will be the two four limit table. I uh, I remember this email. I, I I didn't really respond. I didn't really know what to say. I mean, you know, sometimes these guys are are playing that game because the only game they have. So I don't really know if they. Yeah, I, you I, know, I edited it down because I know he like brevity. So yeah, um, he did preface this by saying that there were two five games. I don't think there's a PLO game going, but there right. were two five games going, so these players purposely were in one two for okay. some reason. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean that we've been hearing that since day one that people are gonna get a harsh reality someday and go broke and go broke and realize they're not as good as they think they are or they have a disposable income so they wanna feel like a hot shot and play the the bigger games and they think they you know they're great and everything and then they realize that with especially with online poker just basically gone from especially Florida, you know a lot of that disposable income now is is gone too, and a lot of that that money out there that people go in and just think they're great and they're sharks, uh, they're not. Now they they're forced to. The guys who are playing now are basically the diehards. You know they've been playing. They're they're going to keep playing. They're not discovering this game as often as they were when they were seeing commercials on television and TV shows everywhere they went so to me yeah i i don't know i don't know what made them obviously become uh realists about their game but it happens people are tired of losing money and they realize they're not as good as they thought they were yeah i can see this from from two sides one uh it's always nice to remind people that every poker pro goes broke at some point which mm-hmm. is kind of a funny saying or a saying but but i think there's a lot of truth in it i mean it's not a game that that's there's lots of things that can influence um, why you go broke at some point. It's not necessarily skill or bad decisions. It could be just be a Black Friday or your local casino closing down or all kinds of other stuff. But it is a, a good reminder that this is a really hard way to make an easy living. Yeah. So I see it from that point of view. Uh, the other point of view is, you know, and I'm not picking on John here for the letter, but... Um, I, Part of me feels bad when people feel like they need to shame people for, you know, humbling themselves to some degree, right? Right. 
you know, you know, these players could continue to play a two five with no money if they wanted to, just for pride. But these people have, you know, instead of falling down, I think they made a reality. Hey, this is the game I can afford to play now, so I'm going to play it. So, you know, I, I guess in some sense, you know, people take joy in seeing a world class pro now playing one two in their local room because that's all they can play and ha 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 right mm. I, I don't know that just it rubs me the wrong way I think I, I just you know hey this stuff happens and let's not mock them let's use this as a, a reminder to ourselves of our own limitations you know I mean he says here I hope someday they will realize their limitations well maybe they have yeah you know? that's why they're there um, but the bigger lesson is we should all take that as a lesson to realize our limitations and and not move up quickly, or when we're doing well at two five, you know, scroll some money away uh, because you may not be able to do well at two five the rest of your life. So at some point, you're going to fall down to one two, and if you spent save some of that money instead of spending it on unnecessary things, then you'll be able to ride it out a little longer. Yeah, it's a valuable asset to know your limitations and, and to recognize them, be realist about your own ability. I, you know, I can't tell you how many times my wife has said to me you should go play more you should play you can make a lot of money i'm like no honey i mean i love to play on the or on the cruises or whatever and the home game and stuff but i am not gonna go test my i know what i'm capable of i'm not gonna be some 510 pro or something it's just not happening i just don't have that mind for it you know and i know that and some of these people just sometimes it takes a little longer for some of them and and they but like you said i think they did realize that and i think they realize the limitations and that's what you do, and I, I don't know who these people are or what it is, but and it's also tough to find right. a PLO game in Florida, you know that, whatever. But yeah, yeah I, I don't, uh, I don't certainly high stakes ones. Yeah, I don't judge people at all when it, I, I try not to judge people on anything anymore. Ever, um, there's some things I, I, I think are silly, but other than that, I mean, well, I assume the nature to judge. That's why yeah. I said I wasn't picking John, but you're right. I mean, we we should aspire not to, right? Especially judged. that. You know, I mean, because this guy is not playing the level he used to play, you know, that that means maybe he did figure it out. And that's, you should be commended, not reprimanded. So, hey, you find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at idiotmagazine.com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo director of poker Elliot Schechter tell you how he would have ruled. This week's prize is a setup of J Design playing cards, the official playing cards of Annie at Poker Cruises. Available at ClassicPlayingCards.com. Comes from Brian Mitchell. Used to be a great running back. Uh, it says, I'm a dual rate at a casino, and we have a house rule that states if players expose their hands prematurely, for example, with action still pending or players who have acted, their hand is dead. I think this rule is harsh and wondered how it's commonly ruled elsewhere. Well, Elliot's not going to mince words today, folks. <laughs> this policy is dumb and all caps. <laughs> It's bad for the game and bad for the players in every poker room that insist on using this bad rule. Please lobby your manager to change it as soon as possible to the much more fair and obviously not universal rule for exposed hands. For cash games and tournaments, the rule is supposed to be the same. An exposed hand is still live and in contention for the pot. Penalties will be applied as warranted, such as counseling, warnings, uh, being dealt out for any number of hands, and then ultimately expulsion from the poker room. Being shown the door is generally reserved for players that continually expose their hands after being repeatedly advised not to do so. Sometimes expulsion is the only punishment that will make some of the truly self-centered players understand that poker etiquette must be adhered to by all so the game remains fair and equitable. Yeah, that says it all. Well, there's one interesting thing about the TDA, too, because there are things where in the rules where they say a penalty may be issued. Um, and there's a big uproar. Hey, I don't want to give uh, the recreational player a penalty for when they fold, their cards flutter, and their hands exposed, right? Mm. The flip side of that is a warning is a penalty. There's nothing wrong with with coming over and politely telling somebody, hey, I know it was an accident, but you can't expose your cards. Uh, I'm giving you a warning now. Just be careful in the future. Well, on the lighter side, we get to complete O'Malley's move today. Here comes part one. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we're in the same $1-$2 No Limit Hold'em casino cash game that we were in last week. After getting our stack up to three seventy-five from two hundred, we've suffered a few losses and now sit with around three hundred. The blinds post and it's folded to us in the MP with two black tens. We raise it to ten dollars. 
The cutoff calls, but everybody else folds. The cutoff seems to be a solid player, but we've had limited play against him. He sits with 450. There is about $20 in the pot, and the flop is the Jack of Hearts, Ten of Hearts, Nine of Diamonds. Well, we hit our set, but this is an extremely coordinated and wet board. We make it $15 to go. Our opponent calls after very little thought. The pot is approaching $50, and the turn is the king of clubs. Bad card. It's on us. What's the move? Uh, if our opponent was holding a queen, he surely stayed in with the flopped open-ender and now is caught up to us. Uh, but there are many other possible hands as well. I'm not going to let myself get spooked, but rather do the spooking. So I'm betting out half the pot or 25 clams. Yeah, I won't stop betting until I'm told to. So yeah, 25 sounds pretty good around there. You won't um, stop betting, Chris. <laughs> we still have outs if we're wrong. And if he re-raises me, then I'll reassess. Okay, here comes part two. Hello again. Pot control seems like the best option. We check. Our opponent bets $35 and we decide to make the call. There's 120 in the pot and the river is the tray of hearts. Well, we missed. We check again, and our opponent bets $75. We fold, and he graciously shows us ace-queen. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying sometimes even a good fold can put you on tilt. I'm fuming a bit after that one. I hope to see you on the felt. Well, playing O'Malley's way, we may have saved some money, but not definitely. You know, if my $25 bet was raised, I likely would have folded. Yeah, I would have folded to a river bet, too. So, I mean, I think uh, I definitely fold. Um, but uh, you're right. You're right. If we got re-raised, I'm out of that hand. Like I said, I would have reassessed, and we would have lost the minimum. So, that was played right, I think. I think so. All right. All right, it's time for the advancedpokertrading.com hand of the week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antietmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. And this is a pot limit Omaha situation, Chris. Yay! Ed Rindler. A uh, very quick situation, so let's see how long we can drag this out. <laughs> no, it's not. We're already in an hour. <laughs> uh, Ed says, I hardly ever play PLO as is the challenging to find a game, as you mentioned earlier in the show, right? Yeah, yeah. I recently played in a little tournament that only had seven people buy in. It was a winner take all tournament, and this hand takes place heads up. Hmm. I have ninety five hundred in chips. My opponent has forty five hundred. Uh, the blinds are three hundred and six hundred, and I'm on the button. Um, and I look down at ace of hearts, six of hearts, jack of diamonds, deuce of diamonds, and I raise to twelve hundred. And he calls. The flop is the seven of hearts, seven of diamonds, deuce of hearts. He bets 1000 and I call. Turn is the tray of clubs. He checks. I check. The river is the jack of hearts. He bets 1200 leaving him 1100 behind. Now raise them all in. He calls. I say ace flush. He says pocket jacks. A full house with pocket jacks. I go completely card dead and he wins over the next hour. How poorly did I play this? Oh, I don't know. I, I don't... Or you say, make the same mistake I did. Uh, this is PLO, not PLO8. Yeah, I was going to say, if it was PLO8, I enjoyed, I agree with the raise. I don't know if I raise with that hand, PLO, unless I know this this person is suspect of folding. It, you know, uh, since I'm the button and I'm looking at that hand, if I think the person might fold, but I'm in raise. And in PLO, you've got four cards in your hand. A blind who's already got 600 in the middle is going to defend almost every time i mean so you really have to hit that and then when the board pairs i'm never happy with a board pairing i don't know what the other cards are the guy in his hand how do i know he didn't have a seven how do i know he didn't have a a king of hearts and a queen of hearts in his hand with that jack jack you know so now he's like a second nut flush he thought it might be good so i need a little more details before i say the i blame the other guy but for me I don't know if I raise with that A6 Jack Deuce unless it was PLO8. Then I would definitely raise that hand. This hand, I might just call and hope I got the nut flush draw and then take it from there. And then when he bets into me with a 7 and all I have is a... I don't even have a nut draw anymore because it's a paired board, so quads and full houses beat my my nut hearts. So I don't know how I play that. I mean, I, I guess I... Since I have position, I might call that, float it, and see if he really meant it. When he checked the turn, I might have made a bet there. 
you know, if I thought for sure, because the turn is where you make your money in PLO, man. That's where the real money is is wagered, and people are, you know, just whatever. So to me, I think maybe the turn. If I don't raise preflop, then this, this hand could have gone completely differently. But maybe the turn is where I play differently. I don't know. Other than that, I mean, again, I don't know what made this guy stick around to hit his one outer because you had a jack in your hand. So that means it's a one outer on the end. So I, I don't know if he played it poorly, but I those are my thoughts on what I would have done. Yeah, that's a good point. So first of all, I need to apologize to Ed. I when I responded to him, I thought there was three players in this, and it's heads up. So that changed a little bit, but not much. What I told him, um, I kind of said, said a lot of the same things you did. That this is not a hand that I think is strong enough to raise with, um, unless it's PLO eight, and it's an awesome hand, right? Yeah. Um, now there is a suited ace in there. Uh, we do have the chip lead, so I, a lot of it comes down to your read on the player. I mean, heads up is a weird thing. We don't get to play it very often, right? Right. Uh, certainly don't get to play it against all the different opponents that we might play against. So um, I don't know how long we've been playing heads up here. I don't know if we have a sense of what our our, our opponent does. But one of the things that I picked up in these last couple of years playing this heads up championship in the world championship at Annie Up out of Thunder Valley is that every player has a different style of playing heads up. You know, some will defend every single time you raise. Some are happy to limp into pots on the small blind. Um, so if we're playing a passive player here, or we've decided that our opponent is passive, I probably don't want to throw away a suit of days, but I'm certainly not going to min-raise. That's just throwing too much money away, I think. Um, unless our opponent has shown that he folds to min raises in that case, sure, whatever, but most people don't. Right. Um, so then like a realistic raise to be like 4,500, which I guess puts him all in. Right. And I don't know if I want to like see five cards against, uh, a opponent with this hand. So, um, I don't think I have a good raise here. So I'm either going to fold, or if I think that our opponent is going to let us see the flop, then it's definitely worth I think 600 uh, to see if we we get some hearts um, or something else that that will actually work. Um, so the fact that we min raise and they call now when the flop comes, you're exactly right. Even in heads up, this paired board, I have no confidence in my hand now. So not only are we uh, still drawing. We don't have a hand right now, yeah. but we may be drawing dead. Um, and, and that's tough. And so, you know, and we don't have a lot of chips to play with here. I mean, we have our opponent, you know, doubled up, obviously, but in heads up, as soon as we double him up, guess, guess <laughs> who's the short stack now, right? Yeah. So I don't want to spew chips here. So, I mean, this is a weird, interesting. I think the way the betting went here leads me to believe that we could have limped into this pot and saw the flop and at that point we could have decided what we wanted to do and if he bets out i'm gonna let him take it because at that point now i'm down to 8900 i still got a big chip lead on him and i'm gonna wait for a better spot uh, i'm definitely not gonna call that extra thousand with the, the hard draw that could be dead yeah think about that i mean if you limp it's 600 you flop the nut draw to a flush but obviously it's like the fifth best hand so you're like okay well I'll check and or he bets out and then you think alright well I'll, maybe I'll call one street but now he doesn't bet 1200 or 1000 maybe he bets 600 you know I mean just it's just a whole different way this hand could have gone and been cheaper um, but even then I, I, I think maybe you bet the turn he goes away too if you shove on the turn not shove but bet the pot because now he's got his jack-jack to win. If he doesn't have the seven or the king-queen of hearts or something like that, you know, I don't know what the other cards were. So, But right. if he had just basically two jacks and two rags, then you get him off his hand, you know. Or if he's an inferior player, he thinks his jacks are good at that moment, you know, which they were. But most people don't think that when I get a raise from somebody, that jack-jack in your hand is good. You're going to have to probably hit your set. So... Well, you know, it's the other thing too. Heads up, though. I, I'm I, I like my pocket jacks a lot more than I do uh, the full table in Omaha. Uh, depending on what else I have, it'd be nice if I had a couple of the cards to go with it. But you know, if I'm short stacked here and the big, I'm going to expect the the big stack to raise every single time. Yeah, I get a pair in my hand. That that's probably something I'd be willing to go to war with. So, um, which is the other reason that I'm not excited about. 
raising raising him all in with with a six Jack Deuce. So yeah, yeah, I just would have called. All right, oh, well, sorry, yeah. Yeah, yeah, don't feel too bad about it, Ed. Just uh, that's why we play. We play to get better. I'm Chris Casenza, and I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. Anti-Up is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at AntiUpMagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at AntiUpMagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.